Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keating. I'm joined this week by Mark Jones. Um, and it's going to be a slightly different show than usual. Um, if you haven't heard the news, where have you been? Of course, the, the shock news on Friday that Jurgen Klopp will be standing down as Liverpool manager at the end of the season. Uh, Mark, before we go any further, I'm not going to be revealing any trade secrets and I'm sure regular listeners to the show who have seen you on before will know that you are a Liverpool fan. But for anyone who's listening for the first time or watching along for the first time, uh, yes, Mark is a Liverpool fan, hence the reason why we have tried to get him on this morning so desperately and, and thankfully he answered our call. Um, because it, it would be remiss, such a big story at this point in the season, um, at any point really, not to get a Liverpool fan on for their uh, you know, views on, on this shock news about Jurgen Klopp's departure. And I suppose we kind of have to, to really talk about that and the kind of emotions that you're feeling. Of course, we're recording this Monday morning, three days on from that, you know, kind of massive bombshell that came Friday morning. Um, I suppose by now it's it's taken time to sink in, but it's still kind of a, a big shock for, I suppose, yourself and many other Liverpool fans around the world. I can't remember a, a more surprising story um, in a in a sort of football sense for a long while, um, you know, in terms of the way that it wasn't exactly on the cards, was it? No one had, no one is, you know, it's not as if quite often in football you get stories that are leaked a little bit before um, before they come out, and and that's basically why it's come out why it has now, I think, because uh, he obviously wanted to get it out there before it became a story from the likes of us and the likes of everyone else. Um, yeah, it's one of them. It's one of them. Uh, where were you when it happened moment, isn't it? Um, I was buying a sandwich, if, if, you, if, if you'd like to know that. And um, I got my phone out and as I was going to pay for it on the phone, I saw our, our very uh, our very good WhatsApp service had the story and I was like, oh no, someone's messed up, someone's done it wrong. Someone sent a test article or something. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, look, as you say, it's that that was Friday, this is Monday. Um, uh, it's a very different outlook now, I think. I don't think it's... I, I, what I'd say, what what I'd urge people to do, almost if if people are still a little bit surprised by it, I know there's a lot of it, and I get it. It's it's Klopp and it's Liverpool, and people people have their own opinions. But all I'd say is the interview that the club put out, the the, the extended one, the 25 minute video, I would recommend anyone watch that because it's 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 a really good piece of a very kind of seemingly honest uh, man really just talking about why he felt he couldn't carry on and I, I actually came away from that thinking yeah no, there's, there's, there's no there's no uh, you know I mean you can't begrudge the man uh, doing anything he wants really but I, I, I think as you say Friday to Monday there are different there are different circumstances there are different um, ways of thinking about it but but yeah I'd just say um, watch that because <laughs> it's, 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 it's a genuinely good piece of uh, television yes you call it yeah you say that and, and you mentioned in your answer about it being a shock and a surprise and where were you moments if anyone's interested uh, the, the kind of the difference to mark i'm currently renovating the house so i was cleaning and tidying it up and i had my phone downstairs whilst i was cleaning upstairs and, and i kind of saw that it all popped off and i was like oh what's going on here and then i realized soon after that yes a uh, uh, big shock news and similar to yourself kind of the surprise that comes with it and even not being a liverpool fan you, you're kind of shocked and stunned and I suppose that is, you know, from the outside, the, the the shock nature of it is because Liverpool have been in a rebuild this season. Last summer, 
massive rebuild of, of the midfield in particular as well. You know, the likes of Jordan Henderson leaving, Fabinho leaving, Dominic Shaboshlai, Alexis McAllister, Wataro Endo coming in. A big rebuild at Liverpool and you're kind of expecting, you know, even Klopp himself was calling it Liverpool 2.0 and you're expecting this to be almost like his second dynasty. You know, how Sir Alex Ferguson was always good at rebuilding his Man United squad and that they'd, you know, see a little bit of change and then go again and go again and, and we saw that so often and we were kind of thinking... Well, this is that era for Liverpool and, and for Klopp now. And, and the way is, we said they described it, Liverpool 2.0. And it seems strange and weird that six months into this rebuild, into this new era for the club, that the club has stepped down. And you kind of think, would he not have been better suited? Really, if, if he felt this way, he might have stepped down in the summer gone, isn't it? it? It's the timing as well. And the fact that they are five points clear at the top of the Premier League, the fact that they are still going for four trophies again, it, it's, you know, it was going to be a shock at any point, but it's just what's gone on and, and what could happen this season. It, that For me, at least anyway, from the outside, seems to add to that sense of shock. I, I disagree in the sense that, I mean, I, the the expected thing that we, the, I, you know, the idea that, yeah, last season goes off the rails and it finishes the way it does. You know, you, would you have been as shocked if it happened in the summer? No. Last summer, no, you wouldn't. I think doing it this way, it's it's a much better way of doing it. You, you've you've you know you've already put things in place. You've already, I mean, that's the, the sort of prevailing logic of the whole thing as well. He was never. I, I don't think he was ever going to be this Alex Ferguson figure. Like he's he's on record many a time saying that he's ne- he wasn't going to be. You know, every time he comes up against uh, Roy Hodgson, he always says he can't believe he's still managing at the age he's managing at. You know, he, he wouldn't ever dream of being that sort of manager to go on for all those years. Same with Wenger at Arsenal, obviously. We talk about Ferguson and Wenger. We're talking about very unique things. We're not We're not talking about a normal reign. I mean, Klopp was the longest serving manager in the Premier League by a long, long way. And these, these Ferguson, you know, dynasty that he had, incredible rebuilding the team. I mean, it's, it's a unique feat. It's, he's a unique man, you know, and, and, and that club benefited from his genius for all those years. Wenger, you could say he stayed on too long, can't you? He stayed on five, six years too long. Um, doing it this way that Klopp has done it, it's a very, I don't know, I, I, I understand there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of opinions on the man and, and you, can't, you can't move for him at the moment, obviously. I just think doing it this way, it suits him, it suits what he wants to do. And he's, as I say, this, the team that had to be broken up um, in the summer, he rolled that team out essentially. You know, it it would literally reach its last legs. I mean, this time last year, they were they were getting battered by Brentford and Brighton and Wolves, and and they just were way off it. Um, again, there were stories then. I mean, I remember thinking last year they lost about this time last year they lost three 0 at Wolves, and that was my first thought of actually he could go here. You know, he could he could go, and I think in many and I, I go back to the. I go back to the interview I mentioned earlier. I just say watch it because it's an incredible line he says, and that way he says no one's going to sack me because because of how he's he's so powerful within the club. He's almost he's almost everything. He's the manager. He's the CEO. He's the sporting director. He's everything. No one's going to sack him, even in the middle of that poor run last year. So setting your own sort of time limit on it and going, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go because I feel drained, which again we should completely take his word for. I can, you know, I, I, I realize again, part of the shock was because he doesn't look that drained, does he actually? I actually thought he, 
he looked pretty rejuvenated this season, but maybe that was just with the freedom of knowing I've not got long left here and I can just see this out, you know, I can see the finish line and, and go for that. So as I say, if we were having this conversation on Friday, mate, it would have been probably a different one. But the more you reflect on it, I actually think it makes it makes sense for him to do it the way he wants to do it. And I can't really remember a situation where a, man, a manager will be leaving a team, provided things don't go awfully wrong in the last four months of the season, but are leaving a team in a better state than the one he'll be leaving it in. You said there about providing it doesn't all go wrong in the last four months and of course it could go so right. So asking this next question now, it almost feels a bit harsh because of course, of course we could, it, it could change very much. Um, you know, I don't see him dropping down the pecking order, but when we're talking about great Liverpool managers, if he was to win all four trophies and sign off that way, I'm, I'm sure that would see him maybe rise one or two percentage points in those, uh, in, in the minds of some. But but that's the question now, isn't it? Where does, where does Klopp rank among the greatest Liverpool managers of all time. You know, we're talking Bill Shankly, we're talking Bob Paisley. Um, you know, where does, could, might even throw Kenny Dalglish into that mix as well. Where does he, amongst these Liverpool greats and great managers that they've had down the years, where, where does he rank amongst them at the minute? I mean, as, as an actual ranking, I think it's, it's impossible. I, the thing about him is it's very easy to, and he made it very easy to forget they were in a bit of a state when he arrived. And it would have been very easy for Liverpool to have become a side who hovered around the top half, you know, and finished between fifth and ninth and just sort of stayed there and had a little tilt at the Champions League every now and again. I think they were 10th when he took over from the, the, the start of that season when Rodgers left. He only finished eighth in his first sort of. It wasn't, it wasn't a full season. It was most of a season, and then and then it all started, and then it all ramped up. And the thing about him, and this is why, well, when all the comparison, I'm sure people are sick of him now. All the articles and stories that you've seen in the last few days, the Shankly thing. The thing about Bill Shankly was he, he, you know, if you're going to list all the honors, if you're going to list all the things, he's not on the top of them. He's not. He's not. You know. But what he did was he built a team from the second division and took them all the way up. Now, obviously, Liverpool Liverpool weren't in the second division, but they weren't near the elite of the of the game. And and I think if you're if you're making comparisons, Shankly, I think is the closest one because of how he he basically instilled these values and these ideas and the the things that probably wind people up who don't support Liverpool basically got got in, got instilled um, by him. And then in Klopp, they found the perfect person to release that and make it happen. So, and then the funny thing is about about what comes next, and and whoever that I know everybody could, we're going to come on to talk to it, but who comes after him? There's every chance that the next manager after him will have a better success in terms of trophies um, because of various scenarios that could play out in the next few years. So. Um, Look, he's. I heard someone say a quote the other day saying, "If you were to make a, a Mount Rushmore of Liverpool managers, it's uh, it's Shankly, Paisley, Dalglish, and Klopp." 
And I think that's that's fair. You said there, and we'll, we'll move it on to it now, about who comes next, who comes after Klopp. Uh, on the Daily Mirror today, on the Daily Mirror website, you can read uh, the this week's big debate, our weekly big debate. And of course, it has to be, doesn't it? It has to be who is going to be Liverpool's next manager. Um, and you can read, um, you know, some of our best columnists on there, uh, as well as some of the, the uh, paper writers that we've got as well. They'll all be giving their, uh, their their opinions on that. But Mark, you you kind of get first dibs. But before we come to your opinion on it, uh, again, it's a question um, that's been asked by Size Records on Twitter as well. So we're going live this morning, of course, if you are watching along, uh, feel free to get involved in the comments as well. But as he says there, do you think Alonso is now done to succeed Klopp? And I suppose kind of asking that question in the way that, that asks you, who do you think is, is or should be Liverpool's next manager? I wouldn't say nailed on just yet. Um, I would say he is in the, the front runner, certainly. I mean, you've only got to look at the odds for that. Um, he is, as I mentioned before, going after, like the big mistake Liverpool could make now is trying to create Jurgen Glock too. That is not going to happen. So, the person who comes after him is going to be different. And the, the person who comes after him, as long as they're themselves and as long as they stick to their principles and as long as they, you know, have strong sort of core beliefs in their, te- in their team and they're just, you know, I know, they show some of the values that Klopp did, which was really generating through to the team, they implemented some things, you know, I mean, Liverpool rarely make a mistake in the transfer market. They rarely sign sort of players who don't have the right characters and things like that. Those are things that will all stay behind the scenes. The new manager will not be Jurgen Klopp. And in many ways, I actually think that might sound a bit daft, but the most, the more important appointment is the sporting director to come. Because obviously there's, there's uh Schmadke who's been there, basically Klopp's mate who's been there since last summer. And you've got to look at that now, I think as well. You've got to look at that. There was a lot of surprise when he came in, a very unheralded, German bloke who no one had really heard of in this country did a, did a job at a few middling German sides. Was basically brought in as just a bit of a bit of an interim. But everyone, as everyone always thinks, was sports sporting director. Right, it's all about the players you can sign. And they ended up signing. They got three players from from the Bundesliga. They got uh, Sobosly Endo and, and Gravenberch. So obviously, there's some contacts there that he's made with German clubs. But if you think of it as actually, he's in, he's in clubs here every day. They're talking every day and he's almost smoothing the way for his exit probably by speaking to people in Germany about who will be the next manager. So I think Alonso, Alonso is absolutely the favourite and, and, and also because it is such a big void, he's going to come in obviously with everyone's well wishes because he was such an incredible player for Liverpool, you know, a, a, a real uh, icon of that, of that Rafa Benitez side that was so um, consistent in Europe and obviously won the Champions League. So yeah, exciting. You it's a risk. It's a huge risk. He's only been he's only been a top fight manager for a couple of years, hasn't he? If that, but I would say I would have I would have uh, Alonso as the favourite sort of to succeed him, and I think it's the right move. The one that I'm intrigued with would be De Zerbi, To be honest, um, I, I quite like the idea of that. I think in the same way that um, you know, the fans are going to warm to Alonso because of the past he's done. I think De Zerbi would very quickly get Liverpool fans on board just by being the character that he is. He'd probably get opposition fans hating him as well, which would only make Liverpool fans like him more. So um, De Zerbi's the one that I'm really curious about. And if it was him, I'd actually be quite excited about that. Alonso just makes sense though. And um, and yeah, that's that's where I'm... 
that's where I'm leaning and it's, it's probably what I'd like to see the most as well. I mean, I'm sure we could devote a whole half an hour to, to the clock news and, you know, you, you kind of raised the point there about, you know, it's not just clock that's leaving, it's the sporting director, it's in, entire backroom staff as well. And we could, we could spend the entire 30 minutes on it. However, there are other shock departures in football this weekend. Chad, well, perhaps maybe not so much how it's gone for Barcelona so far this season, but Xavi announcing that he'll step down as Barcelona manager at the end of the campaign. For them as well, uh, I mean, you know, these... When the managers announce that they're going to be leaving at the end of the season, what impact is that likely to have on the players? You know, at Liverpool as well, I suppose it's, it's going to be two different things here, I suppose. Liverpool are going to probably, in the squad there, are going to want to go out on a high with Klopp because of what he's done for that club and what he means to this group of players. For Xavi at Barcelona, you kind of wonder whether or not they might slide off the rails a little bit more because he hasn't been there that long. And, and uh, you know, it's only uh, 2021 he returned to the club and whether or not they're thinking about, the, you know, their futures, are they going to stay at the club? Who's going to come in there? Whereas for Liverpool, it seems a bit different. But it is going to have, you know, for both teams, it's going to have a kind of bit of a disruption effect on the squad, isn't it? And that's and it's so early on uh, with, with so much left to play for between now and the end of the campaign. I mean, with with, with Javi, it, I don't know. It almost I mean, they they seem to be embroiled in 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 sort of things every week. I mean, there was some more VAR situations, wasn't there, at the weekend where a couple of late goals, and I just wonder if he if he just seems to he got he's got fed up with it all. It would have made more sense to me with that one if he just quit on the spot and just got because that is it's it's a bit it is a bit of a strange one for him to say I'm going. Because like I say, it's not as if there's a long a long sort of um, you know, like what? What if? What if? What if they're for nosedives? I mean, and I said about Klopp. Klopp can't get sacked. Javi probably can. <laughs> um, they, if if things aren't looking too too great for them, but no, it's an odd one. Barcelona's players, you'd also say probably there are a lot more question marks over the future of a lot of them and the makeup of the squad, and it's no longer the kind of you know be all and end all destination for for players because of the way that money's got into the Premier League in the way that, um, you know, the sort of uh, status of, of, of football has changed throughout the league. So I'd say that one has more of a, you look, I mean, look at Liverpool yesterday, out some, you know, no disrespect, but you'd expect them to beat Norwich in the FA Cup. But the way that, I thought the way they played, just, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known there was anything that had happened, uh, especially with the younger players, you know, some incredible young talents there. And you, and you look at, Someone like Connor Bradley. I mean, where's where's he? You know, absolutely just emerged. And I mean, I don't. You know, the, the phrase hasn't put a foot wrong. He literally hasn't put a foot wrong. You know, he he has not. And he was superb at Bolton last season on loan. You've got Quantzer in defence. You've got you have McConnell in midfield. These are young players that will be. You know, they they would have known coming through that the vast majority of their career is going to be without club there. So I don't think it will affect those sorts of younger players. Barcelona, it's always a bit different. Um, whether or not they, it's going to be tight at the top of that league, but um, I, I don't know if this will have the same impact that it, I think, will have for them. And I think, I think Liverpool will get swept up on a bit of a right on a bit of a wave now and, and just crash into the last few months of the season in it with as much optimism as, as they can, really. 
Now, again, of course, we're recording this Monday morning before I was marked the next question, um, at which point we're currently looking at Mikel Arteta being the odds-on favourite for the Barcelona job. Of course, we know in football a lot can change. So if you're listening to this later on in the week, we, this bit may just be null and void. He may well be uh, the running of Barcelona could name their manager. But anyway, Monday morning, here's the odds-on favourite. Reports over the weekend as well from Spain uh, suggesting that Mikel Arteta had informed the Arsenal hierarchy of his own desire to leave uh, in the summer. Uh, and again, you know, the speculation being that Barcelona previously looked at him, considered him. I think when Xavi took the job, they were considering the move for Mikel Arteta at that point. Um, so he's someone that they like. Back in and running again, of course, Mikel Arteta has come out since and, and denied those reports from Spain that he is looking to leave Arsenal in the summer. Um, but this one isn't probably going to go away anytime soon, is it? The link's there until, you know, something happens either way. He signs a new contract to Arsenal or Barcelona say, no, this is our new man instead. These links are probably going to exist because we know that Barcelona like him. Is he, would he be, I mean, you know, I'm sure we're going to annoy Arsenal fans when we ask this question. Is he going to be someone that could replace Xavi? Is he a good fit? But would he be better off actually staying at Arsenal? As you said there, you know, kind of, there's always noise and rumours around Barcelona at the minute and, you know, potentially, you know, the situation that they are in, there might be some key players leaving. A, a, you know, turmoil is probably a stretch too far, but it's going to be a busy summer for them, regardless of who comes in. Is Are, are things a bit more settled at Arsenal for Mikel Arteta to achieve success rather than going back to Barcelona? A club he knows well, came through the academy there, spent time there. But at Arsenal, he still also has that link. He's, he, for me at least anyway, and this is coming from a Tottenham fan, he's probably better off staying in North London for his long-term managerial prospects than, than going back to Barcelona at this point. 1,000% it is, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I say a lot of daft things on these things, but I, I don't think he'll... I just can't see this happening. I, I, I don't think he's going to... I just don't understand why he'd do that. Um, yes, yes, Barcelona is a incredible destination for... Um, anyone, anyone with any, you know, I remember as a kid having Barcelona shirts, you might have had as well. Like they're, they're, a, they're a team that, that exist in your mind, don't they? They exist, they loom large in your, in your sort of any football fan's mind. But he's a young manager, he can manage them one day if he wants. Uh, I'm sure he probably will. Um, I, I, why on earth you'd leave, um, you'd leave Arsenal, all right, then they, they, They've fallen back maybe a little bit this season, but you've got to remember where they came last season. You've got to remember the the um, progress he's brought them on. All that's happened to them this season is, you know, they've perhaps tweaked a few things. They've they've not been great in terms of creating chances. They obviously need a striker, and Liverpool have returned, and and Man City is still there. So you know, they're they're, they're still for me they're comfortably the third best team in the league, um, and I don't understand why he'd want to walk out of that of that project. Uh, right now, this early, um, when, as I say, Barcelona, the Barcelona job will be there for him in the future if he wants it, um, and he seems to me to be in the perfect place to to achieve uh, things with Arsenal. Now, of course, we're recording this uh, a few days out from the transfer window closing. And whilst it has been a bit of a quiet one, and I'm sure the managerial merry-go-round that, that looks that it's likely about to ensue is probably going to provide more uh, fun and entertainment for us all covering it. We, we probably should talk a little bit about deadline day uh, going forward to it. Um, a quiet window so far, Mark, and I suppose it shouldn't really be much of a surprise that it seems now that obviously clubs are perhaps thinking more about the FFP rules. 
and that they now know that they've got teeth in them as well. Everton uh, already been docked 10 points this season. They're still appealing that. Again, there's suggestions that there could be more punishments coming Everton's way as well with Nottingham Forest and potential, you know, down the line about Man City and Chelsea. It looks like Cubs are really taking it seriously now, FFP, whereas perhaps maybe they were, I wouldn't say fast and loose, but, you know, kind of, it's had an impact for sure, definitely, I think, on the, on the January window, hasn't it? But the clubs are more perhaps reluctant to in the past where they were like, right, okay, we're going to charge for this and we need this to get us in and help us stay up or reach top four or whatever. They're a bit more reluctant about it. You even see, you know, a club the size of Man United, for example, Anthony Martial says that he's out for 10 weeks. They don't really have another recognised striker other than Rasmus Hoyland. And even they're saying that they can't go out and get anyone because of the FFP rules as well. So it's it's had that impact, hasn't it, on this window? Yeah, everyone's, everyone's a bit more aware of it. Um, you know the, the profit and profit and sustainability issue around uh, around Everton really really brought it into full focus. And I think when you actually look at that and it, you break it all down, and you see what they were what they were charged for. You, you know you, you you can obviously see a situation where yeah, all, all the clubs will be able to look at that and go, okay, let's stay within our within our means. Um, and you have a situation where football basically you football operates in this kind of market where it's almost like a domino effect, I think, sometimes. And you're waiting for, you know, if one big transfer happens, then that can then facilitate another one, which, in, which can move on to another one. And um, and you're basically seeing a window where all that has stopped because no one's going to make that big move. Um, you know, no, one, no one's going to make... Like the, the sides that could afford to do it are either choosing not to or don't need to. Um, and the other sides are perhaps a little bit just reluctant about about these rules. So it's it's... We're in a little bit of a log jam, really. And I don't need, I just can I just saw the date today, 29th. They say it's nearly over. Uh, it's, it's nearly over and nothing's really happened. Um, I think you'll see a little bit of movement towards the end of the window. There's there's probably a couple of clubs that could do with, with well, there's more than a couple of clubs that could do with it, but it's, it's more, can they afford it? Um, but yeah, the issue around Everton has brought it into focus, Forest as well. And, um, and you know what? I think for so many years we've spoken about football being a bit of a wild west in terms of in terms of this financial stuff so now it's finally showing its teeth then I don't think people can complain about it I do wonder I do spare a thought for our colleagues over at Sky Sports News wondering how they're going to feel deadline day coverage when talking about certain things we've, we've been smart we've left it to the last five minutes of a podcast before we talk about it but I'm not entirely sure what they're going to be doing there come deadline day um, but one player that has been linked with uh, with an exit before deadline day and I suppose it kind of does again tally back in with, with the idea of FFP is Armando Brogia at Chelsea. Chelsea, big spenders, having probably to balance the books. And, and we saw it in the summer, letting um, you know some of their homegrown talents go, like some Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mason Mount, because they knew that perhaps they would get a bit more money for them than other players. Brogia, another homegrown player for Chelsea, come through the ranks there as well. Um, they're holding out for £50 million fee. And of course, it does seem strange that you look at that Chelsea squad and there's not really... Is Nicholas Jackson and and Amanda Brozier and Jackson's obviously away at the uh, African Cup of Nations at minutes. In terms of actual out and out striking options, they don't have many. But it comes back to probably this idea of FFP Chelsea trying to balance the books that they're open to Brozier going. Um, Fulham and West Ham among those linked. But you say fifty million pound for a striker, and you look at those two clubs, and you think they're not going to be spending that kind of money on a on a striker, are they? So it's there's there's probably going to be a compromise somewhere between all the clubs involved if Amanda Brozier is going to be moving before the window shuts. I'd be shocked if anyone's paying fifty bidding for him. Um, yeah, obviously he's with the, with the homegrown thing, the homegrown quota, and um, you can you can balance you can bank that can't you as uh, kind of pure profit. So I'm sure Chelsea have have looked at it 
they would have looked at it since the summer, as you say, when those players left, the likes of Mason Mount. Um, you know, they they basically need to bank this this pure profit for for their accounts. And so that's why you saw a lot of interest around Levi Colwell in the summer, who is probably someone who they considered selling, but I reckon there's probably a a Pochettino move there where he's put his foot down because because Colwell's such a good young player and a very um exciting defender they can build their future around. So so I'm sure Pochettino was almost ring that one off. Connor Gallagher is a name that's kept on coming up, hasn't he, for the last um the last few weeks, months. He's probably grown in importance again to Pochettino. So he unless they got a big bid for him, which I don't believe he was going to put in, then then um that he's not going to go. So yeah, you move on to you move on to Broser, who who has always looked good. He's always looked like a lively striker. He's uh, got a goal in him, obviously. He's quick. He was at Southampton, wasn't he? Where he where he, he had he had that loan spell at Southampton before he had he had a bad or after he had, he had a bad injury. I seem to remember. Um, and he looked he looked very good at Southampton. He's looked, he's got he's certainly got he's, you know he's got he's a Premier League quality forward. Those clubs you mentioned, yeah, could do with him. Um, I just don't think they're going to get they're going to pay that amount for him. Now, how desperate are Chelsea? It, it's going to come down to that. How desperate are Chelsea? You know, if you're if you're those clubs. I, you you just keep on offering, you keep on creeping up on your offer, wouldn't you? You'd see, and you'd see if they if they took a bite. Um, I mean, there's a flip side of it. Is it sounds a bit mean, maybe, but is it in the interest of some of these clubs to bail Chelsea out? You know, Chelsea Chelsea need to sell these players. And then we've seen what happens to clubs who don't who, who don't comply with these rules. So is it you know is it is it in the best interest for for um, some of these mid table sides to to do this? So we'll see what happens with him. Um, he's a good. I, I like him. He's, he's very willing. He's you know he's got he's he's got he, he needs a run of games. He needs a run of games, and he's probably not going to get that at Chelsea. Who I imagine once once the once the finances work out in their favour, will uh, will move for a big forward probably in the summer. One chance of rumour that's, that's cropped up this morning, um, and, and Eddie Howe spoke about it at his press conference ahead of the uh, midweek Premier League games coming up, uh, was one about Jacob Ramsey from uh, Aston Villa, a fee of around £50 million being linked. Um, of course, it's interesting that the two clubs are happening to play each other this week. So if it was to go through, I'd, I'd say they'd probably be having conversations about it in the boardroom before and after the game this week. But that's the one surprise for me so far this window is that again you know everyone's trying to balance the books for FFP but Newcastle we know that their midfield options have been lacking severely depleted by injuries and it seems strange that you know we're here at the 29th of January and they haven't signed anyone and I'm, I'm sure we've spoken about this on the podcast throughout this month that they haven't signed any midfield options so far but would you know you kind of look at how Jacob Ramsey's played for Aston Villa this season and where they still are like Arsenal, like Man City, five points off Liverpool, definitely still involved in the title race for now at least. It would be a strange one for Villa to, to sell him at this stage when they're, you know, perhaps even challenging on, on more than one front. You know, they could go very, very far in the Europa Conference League as well. And that's not to be sniffed at. A great trophy for Villa to win. It would it would seem strange for them to to sell such a talented youngster to a potential rival for, for European places and, and trophies down the line. Yeah, he's a really good player, isn't he? He, um, he was probably... Probably the one, uh, the one positive from the Gerard time. I'd imagine you know if you think about it as a whole, you know, he he emerged as this really exciting young player, um, and I can see why there's interest. He's, he's dropped off a little bit purely because Villa's squad's improved, um, and he's not he's not perhaps getting the amount of starts. And he he got a couple more recently because they've had injuries, but but at the start of the season he wasn't really seen. I mean he had the injuries himself, but. Um, He's a really exciting player. I'd find it a strange one if if they, as you say, to Newcastle, 
but Newcastle have got issues of themselves. You know, yeah, they they've got um, they've got their own. So I mean, they've they've not been shy of coming out and saying have they that they need to sell players. So um, I don't think they can afford it. Basically, I, I'm so yeah. You, when you're talking about them not signing someone, yeah, they could have done the, the odd loan move here or there, but um, but no, I don't see Villa selling him to to Newcastle. One team I've seen linked with him actually is Bayern Munich, um, and that would be a would be an interesting one, um, given that they're now addicted to signing English players. Um, so he he's he's a really good player. I'd I'd like to see more of him, uh, but for me, he makes sense at Villa. So so uh, I think he'd better off staying where he is at least for the rest of this season, because as you say. They've got a lot of games. They've got so many games to uh, to get through once the Conference League starts again. Now, Brian's interesting in him. It, it won't last long. He's not played for Tottenham yet, and I think that will uh, put Thomas Tuchel off. It's, it's only Englishmen who have played for Tottenham that he's keen on. Um, maybe, maybe we'll try and see if Ryan Mason can come out of retirement instead and, and tempt him back. Um, but Mark, for sure, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest uh, from the transfer window. We promise. I'm sure it will get more exciting as we get towards deadline day. I really promise. Well, I really hope as well because we need something to talk about. Um, but for sure, you can keep up to date with all the latest from it across the Mirror at the start and the Express websites as well as the uh, search for Liverpool's next manager to succeed Jurgen Klopp and all the fallout and reaction from this week's Premier League midweek fixtures. Thank you, Mark, as always, for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, But for now, it's goodbye.